again, I've been gone for the past uh, week or so, so um, we have not been uh, going on in this class uh, since that time, and so we're picking right up where we left off. And of course, uh, lesson 58 uh, that we looked at a week ago was actually uh, the lesson that I just preached this morning. And I told you we, we, uh, we went through the first half of Matthew chapter 18. We didn't get a chance to get into the parable. And so uh, that's what I did my lesson on this morning. So hopefully that'll supplement for what we missed uh, a week ago. But again, just to remind us, um, we, had this, we had this problem between the brothers, right? In Matthew chapter 18, they're arguing before one another, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the, in the kingdom of heaven? You know, Jesus brings the child uh, from uh, up in front uh, as an object lesson, you know, shows them that, you know, we need to be converted like children. If we want to uh, see the kingdom of heaven one day, we need to have the qualities of children, you know, their, their innocence and their, uh, their teachableness and, uh, you know, again, all of these different things. Uh, and then as the, the chapter progressed, again, uh, we see that, you know, Jesus uh, talks to them about, uh, you know, if your brother offends you. Again, uh, again, we're not going to go through all of that review like we normally do because we just had that review this morning. Uh, but again, Jesus, um, you know, get, goes through those sort of those three steps. Go to them in private. Bring a couple witnesses if it doesn't work out, and then bring it before the church. Again, uh, if if not, neither of those uh, work out, again, Peter asks, you know, how many times should I? Forgive my brother up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, it was 70 times seven. Again, that's a figurative number, uh, just meaning every time that he uh, commits a sin against you and he repents of it, forgive him. Uh, now, we might ask ourselves, I don't think we got too much into this. We might ask ourselves, you know, does this process work? Again, because it's tough, right? It's tough to go to somebody. Uh, it's tough to, you know, bring these things before the church. Uh, but we have a divine example in Scripture of this happening. If, again, we're not going to take the time to go this morning, uh, but if we would read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, you're going to read about a man uh, who, um, the Bible says, had his mother's uh, wife, or excuse me, had his father's wife. And uh, it was, a, it was this, really this boastful thing that the church in Corinth was doing, uh, that they were allowing this individual who was in such a grievous sin uh, Paul says it was so grievous that even the Gentiles wouldn't have done this. And it was so grievous that you know, Paul is going to, again, instruct them to uh, take the leaven out of that congregation, you know, get rid of it, disfellowship the individual. But then, if you mark down 1 Corinthians 5, go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 2 later. Because what we're going to read is it appears that that man uh, repented of that sin. And Paul tells them to bring him back into the fold, to, uh, you know, again, forgive him. And to you know, show him that forgiveness. And so, does it work? Yes. Scripture uh, shows us that example. So again, uh, the parable, uh, again, of the unforgiving servant. God has forgiven uh, us despite our debt. And so we need to forgive others despite their debts that are, again, are much, much smaller in comparison to the ones that we have committed against God. And so uh, we're going to move right into the next lesson. Again, number 59. We're going to start off in Luke, or excuse me, John chapter 7, then we'll move to Luke. But here we are, and it's, it's really, it's getting time for Jesus to uh, start going south, to head towards Jerusalem. Uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that uh, at this point in our lessons, lesson number 59, we're, we're about six months away from the crucifixion. Uh, 
We're in Matthew. We're in, we just finished Matthew chapter 18 out of 28 chapters. Uh, Mark, we're in Mark 9 out of 16 chapters. We're in Luke 9 out of 24 chapters. And uh, we're in John uh, 7 out of 21 chapters. So what does that tell you about the life of Christ? As far as the gospel writers concerned. The majority of what the gospel writers are writing about is what? More towards the end of his life, right? Because we're not even halfway through our study, and here we are only six months away from the crucifixion. So we've got a lot more to go through, of course, but it's just interesting to note that, uh, that we're approximately six months away from the crucifixion, and Jesus is now heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading uh, Judea, the, the, that southern region in Palestine. If I would have kept the map up here this morning, we could have uh, noted at that. But along the way, uh, we're going to notice Jesus' interaction with some uh, potential disciples. And we'll notice uh, especially three of them uh, that we're given an example of. And we're going to notice some interaction that he has with uh, his physical family, his, his brothers. Um, so we'll notice that here as well. So uh, let me ask you this question, though, before we begin. Is there any time, and you know, this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it, but just think about this. If there, is there any time in our lives where Jesus would say to us, yes, I understand what you're going through. Uh, that's important. Go take care of that first, and then follow me. Is there any time that Jesus would say to us, that in our lives. So let's think about that as we go through this lesson. Again, let's start in John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. I know we're a little behind time uh, this morning to, uh, uh, for our Bible class, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get as far as we can through here. So John chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, and he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booths, was near. Therefore, his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Verse 10, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Okay, so the, the, the context of where we are is there's a feast uh, going on. Um, there was three annual feasts, like these, these really big feasts that, that went on in Jerusalem. Uh, the first one, of course, uh, we just read here is the Feast of Booths, or sometimes it's also referred to as the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, can you think of the other two off the top of your head? And to make it easy, they both begin with a P. Okay, Passover, the Feast of Passover. And then 50 days after it, Pentecost, right, the Feast of Pentecost. And so uh, the, the Feast of Passover, or again, the Bible, 
one of the things that maybe it's a little tough for us is because sometimes it's referred to in different, by different names. And so the, the Passover, we often refer to the Passover. Sometimes scripture refers to it as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This occurs right around in March and April. Uh, and of course, we can read about that in Exodus chapter 12 through 15. Uh, but the, about 50 days later is what is referred to as Pentecost. Or again, it has another name in scripture, the Feast of Weeks. And, you know, this really is celebrating the, the culmination of Mount Sinai and all of those events. Um, and it takes place 50 days after, uh, after the Passover, uh, seven weeks plus one. Uh, again, I mentioned in Exodus chapter 34. So we've got the Passover. We've got Pentecost. You know, that's sort of in the springtime. But here we are in, um, uh, we're in uh, what we would think of as September, you know, late September, uh, early, uh, mid-October of the Feast of Booths, or again, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, we, we talked about this maybe a week ago, but what's a tabernacle? Just in its basic definition? Okay, a portal, yeah, so in the Old Testament, they, they constructed a, a tabernacle, the tabernacle, which was a portable uh, place of worship. Uh, in its easiest form, we just think of it as a tent. A tabernacle is a tent, and so what they would do during the Feast of the Tabernacle is that it was this week-long celebration, uh, again, occurring in late September to mid-October. So again, that puts us right around that six months, because we know that Jesus is going to die during the Passover, and so we're exactly right around that six-month time period. And it's, it was a time for them to, again, these were, these, these celebrations, these uh, you know, holidays, if you will, these are uh, godly, divinely prescribed to the people. Right? These aren't th things that they came up, with, came up with, but God, you know, instructed them to celebrate these uh, instances. And so uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths was a celebration, a week-long celebration for them to remember really their time in the wilderness. And so when they would come to Jerusalem, when the men would come to celebrate it, you know, they would, you know, take some branches and some palm leaves and they'd construct their own uh, tabernacles, their own booths. Uh, and so as a way of remembering, you know, the time that their ancestors spent in the wilderness. So this is the celebration that's going on. Uh, Wednesday in our study, we're actually going to uh, notice uh, the things that go on at this feast. Jesus is not going to go to the feast as of right now in our study this morning, but on Wednesday we'll read about what happens at the feast. But just, again, to give us context of where we are, uh, the brothers of Jesus are you know, asking uh, Jesus, uh, why don't you go to the feast? Why don't you go to Jerusalem? Uh, again, do we remember Jesus' brothers? How many brothers did Jesus have that we know of? More than two. More than three. Four, right. Uh, a couple of places we can see this. And uh, let's, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Uh, we'll notice here, uh, it, uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Is this not mother, or is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So at this point, we know that, uh, you know, Jesus had at least four brothers, Four brothers, and two of them are going to be significant, right? Uh, because uh, his brother James, the first one mentioned, 
and his brother Judas, or what we remember him as Jude, the last one mentioned, two, those two are going to write uh, inspired letters that we have in our Bibles, right? Uh, the, uh, the letter of James and the letter of Jude. And so uh, those two are significant. Um, but at this point in the life of Jesus, do the brothers believe in Jesus' mission? No, not at all. And again, we, we notice here that, um, you know, maybe they're a little condescending towards him. Uh, they tell him, Again, in verse 4, for no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Right? If you want to be a country music star, where would you move to? Nashville, right? If you wanted to be a famous actor, where would you move to? Hollywood. If you're claiming to be the Messiah, you know, where would you move to? Jerusalem, right? The, the brothers say, if you truly are the Messiah, as you claim to be, go to Jerusalem, right? Show the people uh, that you do these things. But of course, uh, they did not believe him, it says there. Uh, eventually, they're going to, uh, when we get to Acts chapter 1, uh, the brothers of Jesus, after Jesus dies and is buried, and, but is resurrected, uh, we're going to notice a change in their uh, in their uh, relationship with Jesus. We're going to notice that they're uh, now worshiping Jesus, that they understand who Jesus is. And, you know, that gives me a lot of comfort uh, to me is to know that, uh, you know, here's an example in Scripture where, you know, maybe our families don't uh, believe in, uh, you know, what we're doing, uh, the worshiping of of God and following Jesus, but there's always hope, right? There's always hope that maybe one day uh, they'll see things uh, through the eyes of Scripture, through the eyes of Jesus. And so, again, the brothers at this point, they don't uh, believe uh, in Jesus. They don't believe in the things that he can do. And Jesus' response was to explain that they could go, uh, that they could go, you know, you guys go ahead and go to the feast, but at this time, it appears it's going to be too dangerous for Jesus. Uh, again, verse 1 says that there are people in that area that are seeking to kill him. Right? It's not his divine time to die. Right? He, he's on a divine calendar, a divine timeline, uh, God's timeline. And it's not his time. He's not going to put himself in that danger at this time. And so he says he's not going to go. Um, Jesus said, or, excuse me, what did Jesus say was the reason uh, the world hated him there in uh, verse 7? He's testifying, yeah, uh, he's testifying of it, that its deeds are evil. Uh, that's one of the main reasons that a lot of people, uh, you know, they don't come to Christ because Christ requires something of you, Right? Uh, when, uh, we're going to see a little bit later when Jesus is uh, attempting to pick up some more disciples uh, that uh, there's a lot of excuses that we may have. Uh, they had then and people use now because, listen, it's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. Jesus wants us to count the cost beforehand. And so, uh, again, he says there, the, the world uh, cannot hate you, so, uh, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. You know, Jesus requires things of us. And so a lot of people, you know, they don't want to 
to deal with that. They don't want somebody telling them uh, what to do. And so, um, and so we notice here, um, Jesus again, he says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet come. But in verse 10, again, verse 10 says, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as in if secret. And so Here's, here's one of those instances in Scripture where people will say, aha, right? here's a contradiction. Here's uh, uh, because Jesus said he's not going, but then later he does. And so, um, you know, how do you and I sort of wrap our minds around that? Did, uh, did, did Jesus just lie to his brothers? Can, or what, is the, what does the Scripture say about uh, God, God's ability to lie? You can't lie. Right? It's not in, of his nature. Uh, with Jesus as well. So did Jesus lie when he told his brothers, I'm not going to go? But then in verse 10, it tells us that he did go to the feast. Let's think of a couple different uh, suggestions. Uh, number one, and I, I believe this is in your packet, but number one, uh, one of the suggestions is, is that Jesus is letting his brothers know that he is not going to go uh, as they want him to go. Right? They want him to go as this this great miracle worker to go in public, to make himself known, uh, sort of like you know, a rock star coming into town. That's how they want Jesus to go into Jerusalem. And of course, Jesus, we're told, is going to go in secretly. So maybe that's what Jesus is referring to. I'm not going to go to the feast like you want me to go, but I'm going to go how I need to go. Because again, my time has not yet come. But probably the more likely scenario is that what he was saying was it was not... Yet, time for him to go to the feast. Does anyone reading out of the King James or the New King James? Because I'd like you to read what it says there, in, again, in verse, uh, verse 8 of John chapter 7. If somebody could read that. Does anybody have a New King James? Or a King James? I have New King James. Okay. Could you read chapter 7, verse 8? You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Okay, so uh, the New King James and King James, their, their translation makes it sound like that's the point, that it's not yet time for me to go. Right? I'm going to go, he's saying, in essence, I'm going to go, but not right now. Uh, again, because verse 9 tells us, having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. So uh, maybe his brothers were saying, go up now. But he's saying, I am not yet ready to go now. And, uh, and so then he goes a little bit later. So again, there's no contradiction here. Uh, Jesus is not lying. Uh, but it's, yet, it's just, we, we need to understand, uh, you know, again, the figures of speech that they're using. You know, if I'm in my office here around 2 o'clock and I leave the building to run an errand and somebody catches me as I leave the building and say, are you going home? And I say no. But then I come back here to the building and work a little bit more, and at 5 o'clock I leave and go home. Uh, did I just lie to that individual? I didn't, did I? Because there's, there's a difference in, in timing, right? Uh, at 2 o'clock I wasn't going home, and I told them I wasn't going home. But yet I went home later on in the day. And so it makes sense to us that, uh, again, that you know, there's probably this timing issue. Again, he was just not ready to go right then and there. And so, but he is going to the feast, uh, but he's going to do it privately. He's not going to do it 
in a way that's going to attract attention. Again, he's on a divine schedule. So... Absolutely. Right. He doesn't want to be killed. Right. It's not his time yet. And so he's going uh, to be going secretly. So, again, Wednesday, this is um, a good opportunity to say, hey, be here Wednesday night because then we'll read what's going to happen at the at the feast. But before we get to the feast, let's uh, go to the book of Luke, chapter nine, because we're going to notice a few things that take place before he gets to the feast. So in Luke, chapter nine. Starting in verse 51, we'll finish out this uh, chapter here in Luke chapter 9. Again, Luke's going to tell us about Jesus' trip to Jerusalem on his way to the feast. Uh, Let's read verses 51 through 56. So when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans, to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So I don't know if you remember our discussion all the way back in John chapter 4. This must have been maybe like three months ago. Again, I probably should have had the, the map up here. But the normal, if you remember, we've got Galilee to the north. We've got Samaria, Samaria sort of in the middle. And then we've got Judea uh, all the way to the south. And this makes up what we know as Palestine or Israel. And so we think of it in these three different sections. And remember on the, the east side of it is sort of... Uh, the territory is lined off with uh, the Jordan River. And sort of the, the, uh, the way of travel back then, if you were going from Galilee to Judea, uh, you went around Samaria, right? Uh, you, you didn't want to go into Samaria. Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along at all. The Samaritans uh, were those who have Jewish blood in them, but they uh, intermarried with uh, the the people who had captured them all the way back, you know, if we go back into the Old Testament, those who took them away into captivity. And so they're half Jew, you know, half Gentile. And so the, the full-blood Gentiles, right, they, they despise the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despise the Jews. And so if you were a Jew traveling uh, through Israel, you went around Samaria. But if you remember in John chapter 4, you know, it told us that Jesus was compelled or he had to go through Samaria, and, of course, that's the account of the woman at the well. And that's, again, that one of those accounts that we're so very familiar with. And so he had to at that time. Well, here we, here we go again where he's not taking the normal route. Right? The, the, the normal route would have been to go around Samaria. But Jesus is going down in here. He go, decides to go through Samaria. But the Samaritans... Uh, they're not going to receive Jesus. Now, do you remember what we just read about, why they were not going to receive him? They, they found out that he's going to go worship in Jerusalem, right? Uh, and again, uh, there's conflicting, um, 
you know, thoughts between the two. They don't get along. And so they're not going to help Jesus and his crew out, his apostles. And what's James and John's reaction to this? Remember, their nicknames are the Sons of Thunder. And so what's their reaction here? Yeah. Should we command that fire come down from heaven and, and you know, destroy these people for, for uh, dissing us? And, uh, you know, the, again, that's, uh, that's interesting. Do you think they actually could? Remember, the, the, they are uh, the apostles of Jesus. They've been endowed with miraculous gifts. We, we've seen them heal. We've seen them, uh, you know, cast out evil spirits. Do you think they, they could physically bring a fire or, or something down from heaven and consume these people? I don't know. I, I'm just, it's just, uh, you know... I don't know, but it, it appears they believe they could, right? Because uh, they asked Jesus, do you want us to do that? And, but Jesus' response was that he came to save, again, not to destroy. You know, we could go back uh, a couple of chapters thinking about when they go on those commissions that Jesus puts them on. Uh, if they go into a town and that town does not receive them, what were they to do? Yeah, kick the dust off their feet and move on. Right? They, they weren't to bring fire down from heaven and destroy that city, but they were just to, you know, move on. And so, again, here's another great lesson for us that we could learn. You know, we shouldn't take rejection personally. You know, we, we bring the gospel to someone. Uh, they reject us. They tell us to leave. Uh, don't take it personally. Don't ask God to bring fire down upon them as James and John did, but just move on. And so, uh, so... With our time remaining, let's, let's finish up Luke chapter 9, uh, because uh, here's sort of the emphasis of, of this lesson. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse uh, 50. Well, let's take this a little by little, uh, starting in verse 57. Again, we're going to see three different types of excuses used by individuals that Jesus is going to talk to, again, on his way to Jerusalem. And let's look at the first few. Uh, this is the impulsive candidate, okay, verses 57 and 58. It says, And they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So here's the impulsive candidate, the the person uh, who Jesus is looking to recruit to become a disciple. And he says, you know, I'm going to go with you. I, I will follow you, Jesus. Now, the one thing that we need to mention uh, before we uh, go any further is, does Jesus know the hearts of men? He does, doesn't he? And we see this over and over again when he interacts with people, is that, uh, you know, he knows their hearts. And so we see when he's talking to maybe the Pharisees who are trying to trap him, uh, we see him sort of act in a different way towards others uh, that, might be, that might have a good heart towards him. And so we know that Jesus reads, can read the hearts of men. And so the way he responds to individuals are appropriate. And so, again, notice this individual, uh, Jesus, or this man is impulsive. He says, yes, I will follow you. But Jesus' response is, the fox have holes and the birds of the airs have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, what there is, uh, is Jesus trying to... Uh, convey by saying, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds uh, have nests. 
What's the nature of foxholes and birds' nests? It should is a better question. So. Okay. Let me rephrase. What's the what's the um, the nature of of foxholes and birds' nests? Sorry. Okay, they're all provided for. But are they, are they temporary structures or are they um, you know, strongholds that could never be, you know... Forever. Right, I'm, yeah, so that's what I'm... I think Jesus is trying to get through to this man, this man who has this impulsion to follow Jesus. Says, hey, listen, the, the, the birds of the air have their nests. Right? We had a bird's nest. Uh, if you were to walk around the building uh, t- to go into the, the basement up on one of the window stills, there was a bird's nest for about three months. I looked yesterday and it was gone. You know, I don't know if the wind took it down or you know, the bird's no longer living there or whatever. But you know, that's the nature of a bird's nest is they use it for a while and then it, for a temporary time and uh, then discard it. Right? And so Jesus is saying here, you know, the foxes have their holes, the birds have their nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, there's, going to be unsempar- or there's going to be uncertainty about um, you know, following me. There's no guarantee of material luxury. Again, he knows what's going to happen in the next six months as he heads uh, closer and closer to uh, Jerusalem. And so he wants his disciples, these would-be disciples, to understand that uh, you, know, you need to count the cost right, if you're going to follow Jesus. It's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, Jesus gave an example in Luke chapter 14 uh, when he was talking about counting the cost. He said, you know, no one constructs a building without planning uh, the materials, uh, getting the cost for those things. Or nobody goes to war without, you know, making sure that they could afford to lose men. And if they had the armory to go to war, you need to count the cost. And um, again, we, we too need to constantly remind ourselves that, uh, you know, that, that the Christian life following Jesus is not going to be easy. Uh, but again, the rewards are going to be eternal, and, and it's worth it. I know I have to hurry up, uh, so let's look at the next guy in verses 59 through 60. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What was that key word that the man used in, uh, in verse 59? Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. What's, what key word or what word stands out to you that first, right? Somebody said first, right? That, that's, again, that's how a lot of us view Christianity, right? Let me first do this and then I'll follow you. You know, burying someone's uh, parents, their, their father in this case, that's an important thing. Uh, as a son, you have an obligation to do that. Uh, it takes precedence over almost anything. But Jesus says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Is, is Jesus talking about a, the physical dead or the spiritual dead? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, we've got uh, you know, two things going on here, two senses Jesus is using. Allow the spiritual dead to bury the physical dead. If you want to follow me, uh, allow them to uh, allow the spiritual dead, again, to bury 
uh, the physical dead. And we might look at that response as being harsh. Right? Maybe Jesus is being harsh uh, to this man, telling him uh, those things. But again, again, remember, Jesus knows what's in this man's heart. And we uh, know that you know, this is sort of the problem that we see a lot in today's society. Of people saying, let me do this first, and then I will follow you. Well, I'm getting the, the motion that we are out of time, and uh, we had one more individual to go through, but we'll finish that up on Wednesday. But I appreciate everyone's attendance and, uh, their, uh, and your participation. Um, this was a great study here this morning. Brother Danny is going to have our closing prayer for us at this time.